You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There's a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at our P.O. Box, 9133 Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for December 28th, 2012. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from the Staycation Mile High Club, it's the professional left with Drip Glass and Blue Gal. Explain about the staycation mile high club. Yes. yes. <laughs> we are kid free this week yes. and we were <laughs> collapsing into falling deeply asleep. I've been sleeping a lot while they've been gone. Well, it's, yeah, it, it was it's a pretty nice to relax. <laughs> it was a pretty intense couple of weeks there. Push, push, yeah. push, 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 push with Christmas uh-huh. and surgery. One of our children had minor surgery and there was just a lot going on. And the, um, as, as I was falling asleep, we were talking about having a staycation. Yes. <laughs> and the staycation mile high club is when you have sex in the upstairs bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> we <Yeah>. decided. Because <laughs> it's an itty bitty bathroom. <laughs> and and only has room really I can't stand in it really. No, it's and uh, so it's perfect. It we would can, it would be perfect if if we were so inclined. We can simulate. <laughs> Flying through the through the midnight sky on a way oh. to exotic locale. Hey, blue gal. Yes, drift glass. You know, like like in uh, like it's a wonderful life. I'll put up posters on the window of stars and uh, clouds, and clouds going past. by. Oh look, it's Denver! Hey, hello, Denver. Yeah, but it's not Denver. It's just it's just the backyard. The people look like ants. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot to caulk the window. Those huh? are ants. Those are ants. And we were going to take a week off this week. Yeah. And then Dick Army invaded the Freedom Works office. Yeah, <laughs> baby. We can't leave that. We can't leave that alone. No. Good Lord. Why wasn't James O'Keefe there <laughs> to get video of that? Well, you know. Oh, wait. Never they mind. Don't, they don't rat fuck. They don't rat fuck their own. Their own. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Dick, Dick Army. Richard Army, former House Majority Leader, um, House Whip, a, a Republican insider from the old days, from the from the uh, Tom Delay. You know, I never thought, I never thought of this, but it is possible that we are watching a House of Representatives that is so fucking dysfunctional and the worst in American history, short of the House just before the Civil War. That they actually long for the good old days of Tom DeLay. Yeah, when they actually had some organization. <laughs> yeah, I mean, granted, he was a a scum and a thug and a uh, he a dictator, yeah, dictator and a corrupt douchebag. But Ralph Reed is making a comeback, and Ralph Reed has no business anywhere near a microphone. But Ralph Reed was featured on the what was it the the cruise? Oh yeah, big, Don, uh, Dante's Fifth Circle of Hell cruise. Yeah. With the National big, Review Online. They all went on a cruise, post-election sh- cruise. The Ship of Fools, yeah. Oh, my God. And it was supposed to be a celebration. Yeah, it didn't work out that <laughs> it way. It didn't work out that way. I still want my country back. Or, uh, or at least a, a Tom Collins. <laughs> there, yeah. And we, we, I was sent at least three links to that article, uh, who, the gentleman who did the reporting on that on that cruise. And it was Stone? just where, where, awful. Where was the reporting? Uh, it was. It's an article called "The Ship of Fools." I think it was in the Atlantic, but it might have been in the New Yorker. I will. I will dig it up and make sure we have it. 
and and there were a lot of people. Cal Thomas was yeah. on that cruise. I this yeah. is one of my big bailiwicks. I love talking about the conservative cruise and going going on a cruise with uh, Catherine Jean Lopez and yeah, <laughs> Rich yeah. Lowry. Well, and uh, <laughs> and uh, um, uh, Jonah Goldberg was there. Yeah, and uh, Ralph Reed. And Ralph Reed. Ralph fucking Reed. And there were there were there was at least one. I'm doing this from memory. I apologize, but. There was at least one conservative Hollywood screenwriter oh, who was there saying, look, we're we're done. OK, yeah. we're screwed. I, if you can't get it through your heads that we have been repudiated, you know, that it's you know, that we have been that our operatives suck. He, and this guy said, look, I like Ralph Reed, but Ralph Reed is over. Yes. And and of course, he was in the distinct minority. The majority were octogenarian, rich, gated community, white people who were who wanted to explain to them in little words they could understand why the Republican party let the Kennedy usurper steal the election. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we'll have to come armed with guns because that's a revolution. The second amendment, the second amendment remedy. We, maybe we have to do that to get our country back. America's over. I mean, we're just over and (sighs) it was really, you know, but Ralph Reed was sitting in the middle of that. And Ralph Reed is, is truly one of the links to the, he and Newt Gingrich and Tom DeLay are, Direct lineal and Dick Armey are direct lineal descendants of the days of the House Republican takeover in 1994. And so the fact that this this shitty, crazy, grifting insider was the face and voice of the grassroots movement to take the party back. And as every every listener knows, including the four conservative listeners we have. There is no Tea Party. Right. The Tea Party does not exist. Whenever you hear someone talking about the Tea Party caucus or the Tea Party this or the Tea Party that, they are one more idiot media scribe who has bought into the notion that there is some third party out there. The Tea Party is nothing but a bunch of old, crazy Republicans in funny hats who are desperately trying to avoid taking responsibility for voting for George Bush twice. And so they were given this opportunity. Look, and I, I've done this before. It's my 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 George Bush tea belly sneeches riff, yeah, yeah. which is where Dick Army took a shitload of money and Fox News and said, look, we'll just rebrand the base of the Republican Party and pretend it's something completely different because that's what we do. We fuck up. We fail. We get us ourselves into the wrong war. We commit treason. We fuck the budget. We burn through the – we burn torture. through the surplus. We yeah. torture people, and then we pretend it never happened. And that's been working really well for us for the last thirty years. So let's it's just keep working. doing that. It's still yeah. working. And it this idea works. that there is now some sort of call for people to work together is such bullshit. The enablers mm-hmm. to this are are just as bad as the the right wingers. The idea that Starbucks is saying come together, yeah, on every cup, like oh come together. Well. And I, I want to quote Jonathan Cohn in yeah. The New Republic, <laughs> who said, you know, writing come together <laughs> on every cup. It's it's uh, one party, the Democrats, is already acting responsibly, and one party, the Republicans, is not. Washington doesn't need two parties that can come together. It needs one party to get it together. And um, I think it was, uh, it wasn't Wonkette, it was uh, Gawker wanted... DC employees of Starbucks to draw a, a dick yeah. <laughs> on their coffee cup. <laughs> Stop being a dick. <laughs> well, 
that, oh, what we really need is both sides to work together. No, one side's completely lost their mind. Yeah. And, you know and has no organizational structure with which to negotiate. And I, I never thought I'd live to see the day. And I, I'm sure I haven't because I'm sure being such a weasel, he will reverse himself. But Tom Friedman, yeah. Tom fucking Friedman actually wrote in the New York Times that, no, it's the Republican Party. You can't have a party that's at war with science and biology and causality and history and math. And hope well, to if you're survive. concerned at all about your investments, then you have to admit that. Yeah. He's well, speaking but, for Wall Street. I don't think he's speaking for. Oh, no. Well, no but this, a, is, the same, party. this yeah. is the same Tom Friedman who a year ago mm-hmm. yeah. was pimping his third way book about how the Democrats are too liberal and the conservatives are too conservative. Yeah. Yeah. The middle party is just right. The middle party that just happens to be exactly the same as the Democratic Party, except that's not his brand. He can't admit that. Right. So, you know, he put a new body on the same chassis and is trying to sell it as a third way. You know, this this Bloomberg indulgent billionaire vanity project of what we need is a third party. Because every time someone stubs their toe, we need a fucking third party. Right, right. And on the right, whenever Tom, somebody on the right stubs their toe, yes. we need a third party. Yeah. Well, yeah. and Tom Freeman could not. You could put a howitzer to his head, and he would never have admitted. Certainly during the Bush administration, but absolutely every step along the Obama administration, which has had God knows major problems. Well, and I want to talk about that for a minute because it's, you know, in a way we have to thank God for the Tea Party meltdown because. Yeah. It's the only yeah. thing standing between us and change CPI from the White House. I know. And bless their hearts. I, that's I, pathetic. I mean, that's really pathetic. Fifty years from now, we'll discover that uh, John Boehner was a liberal operative, <laughs> liberal sleeper cell. You know, he was planted there fifty years ago. Uh-huh. Given this uh, facade. <laughs> born of in born in what Norway, <laughs> the Norwegian usurper. <laughs> born in Sweden. A Swedish usurper. Uh, he uh, he was spray painted. He he had Earl, <laughs> Earl Scheib spray paint job in the seventies. <laughs> Earl Scheib, yeah. ninety nine. How how much did he paint? Twenty nine ninety five, wasn't that he painted? I'll paint that? any guy, any color. Ninety nine ninety five. Ninety nine ninety five. Yeah. Wow. And they they got they fill him full of you know gin and they spray painted him orange and they turned him loose on America. I can't figure out why John Boehner wants this job. No. I really can't. I can't figure out why anyone would want this job. But I, and I'm repeating a little bit from last week, but. John Boehner is in the process of going down in history. I don't know if he knows that. I don't know if he has a sense of the past. Being in charge sort of, of the worst Congress. I mean, yeah. when, when they make the Obama movie 200 years from now, yeah. like the Lincoln movie, yeah. it'll be, you know, Boehner will be the, the laughable yeah. oof. He'll be the buffoon. He'll be, yeah, he'll be yeah, the perfect yeah. foil. Um, and it is, it, it's conceivable he does not realize, but how badly how awful he has painted himself in terms of historical corner. There's no place for him to go. And thus far we've had everyone on the right essentially saying, it's not my problem. It's not my fault. I'm not responsible. Someone else fix this. Well, I think they, I have, I think because, you know, they, maybe it's because they think the earth is 8,000 years old or 6,000 years old that they have no sense of history going forward either. So. Well, and again, the, the, the last waiting for the rapture. So. At, well, so, at, at what point, you know, does it really matter? Does it I, really matter? And I, I'm going to go off on a little bit uh, of a riff that's not David Brooks or science fiction related, which is going to shock you. But <clears throat> I'd like to drop into the conversation one of my favorite posts that I wrote, a little bit of vanity, called uh, Like a Virgin. Oh, yeah. From yeah. a few years ago that, that, that went over very well. But my thesis was that after the 
catastrophe, Republican catastrophe that was the Clinton administration. They were basically in a corner. They had essentially set set a whole bunch of bars for how all future presidents should be treated. Yeah. If there, if there's yeah. if there's even a hint of impropriety, you should investigate. Even, especially during wartime, you should investigate. Yeah. Yep. If there's a whisper of any problem, you should investigate. You should investigate travel offices and files and uh, who was sleeping in the Lincoln bedroom. There should be congressional investigations of everything. There should be a con- card list. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you should drag people up in front of. Congress or grand juries and put them under oath and force them to testify and then go on fishing expeditions where you can find other shit to investigate. And that should be the norm for any presidency because Republicans who still occupy office or who have recently run in the presidential campaign said that should be the norm. Well, and, and Michelle Bachman promised that at the beginning of the Obama administration. Yep. Her idea was nothing but investigation. Yep. Which hunt, which hunt, which hunt. So that was, and again, I, I don't want to take us too far downfield, but um, the norm as of 2000, as set by the Republicans on the public record was you should always investigate everything a president does, even if there's a hint of impropriety. And by hint, I mean if some crackpot right-wing journal writes it. Right. If it's on the Drudge Report, it's yeah. worth investigating. Absolutely. If, if it's yep. an American spectator, there should be congressional investigation yep. about it. Even if you know for a fact that the only reason it's there is a right-wing billionaire paid a stooge to write it in there. Yep, to lie. Yeah. Why? And if you're at war, it's even more important to impeach yeah. the president right. because, you know, that's our constitutional duty. And you're insulting the troops if you don't impeach the president. That was the norm they set. And then they got George Bush. Yeah. And now they and now they were faced with the possibility that they might actually have to have their own words shoved right back down their throats. You know what we're going to do? We're going to start investigating George Bush. You know what we're going to do? We're going to hold hearings on the po- politics of the Florida election. And it, they, they well, look- even if they didn't want to do that, if they wanted to do the, the judges, the federal judges thing with uh, Carl Rove interfering in the federal judiciary. Yep. You know, they started off with a essentially a, a, an illegal or definitely dodgy election, mm-hmm. followed by a tax plan that burned through the surplus, the party of deficit. Uh, uh, fiscal responsibility, its first order of business was getting rid of the surplus. Mm-hmm. So, and 9-11 was for them the giant get out of jail free card. Yeah, yeah. It was, oh, we don't have to live up to any of the shit we said because 9-11 changed everything. So they built this entire second public record that was a complete inverse opposite of what they had just spent eight years saying. You should never investigate the president. You should never challenge the president. Whatever the president says during a time of war, that's what he says. Anyone who says the president's bad is a traitor. By God, liberals, don't you realize how important this is? By God, we're at war. They built this second public record up. And what they failed to notice was, oh, okay, all right. So the rules under the Clinton administration don't apply anymore because you say they don't apply anymore. Fine. These new rules apply, which means if you ever say anything bad about the president, you're a traitor. Suddenly, the Kenyan usurper takes office. Oh, let's forget about all that, too. Now they have two entire blocks of time, two eight-year administrations where everything they've said, they've completely reversed themselves and then re-reversed themselves. Mm -hmm. They got addicted to that. They got absolutely junkie level addicted to being able to say whatever the fuck I said last week doesn't count yep. because people like David Brooks and Chuck Todd and David Gregory let them do it. Mm-hmm. And now here we are facing uh, a complete collapse of the representative form of government in our country through the House of Representatives being run by Grover Norquist and Rush Limbaugh. 
And they're praying to God, really, I sincerely believe they're praying to God that they'll just be allowed to get away with it one more time. Yeah, yeah. That no, no, we, we never get held to account. That's what we do. We call ourselves responsibility, personal responsibility party, but we are never held to account for anything. So no, certainly no one's going to hold us to account for, you know, crashing the global economy or – Oh, well, and that's and that's why now Boehner comes out and says, well, the Democrats, they won't talk. You know, they need to pass a plan that we can agree to. And that's what horrified them about 2012. Yeah. They were promised by by uh, Carl Fox Rove. News and Carl Rove. That yeah. They would never, ever. There'd be a permanent Republican majority. And they would. And that, what that means, translation, what that means is we will never hold you to account for the crazy, stupid, bigoted shit you do ever. Yeah. It's perfectly safe embrace your inner clansman man come out to the parks waving guns because don't worry we got this shit covered you're never going to be held to account for the stupid shit you said and did for lying us into a war for torture for trashing the global economy mm -hmm. and then suddenly against against their their worst nightmare comes true yep four million votes they are actually held to account for the shit they said and done yeah they, and they, they lose by more than four million votes cope yep. with it. they cannot face that that is the that is the that is the nightmare scenario that one day all they were the promised the South would rise again. <laughs> they were promised the only time you have impeachment is when a Democrat's in office. Right. The only time you have investigation is when a Democrat's in office. The only time anybody held, is held account, and they've been aided and abetted by the media for thirty years, and suddenly that that doesn't work anymore. And that's the only play they know. The only play they know is to lie about it, deny, pretend it isn't happening, and try to pretend it's all the liberals' fault. Well, now even Tom Friedman is even saying – Even Tom Friedman! Tom is saying, no, it ain't the liberals. <laughs> it ain't the fucking left. It's you guys. You guys are the problem. We need to eradicate the Republican Party, root and branch, if we have any hope of surviving as a democracy. Even centrists like Tom Friedman are finally saying what liberals have been saying for 30 years. Yeah. And um, – and I want to I want to hat tip Joan Walsh for coming out and saying what needed to be said about Dick Armey. And I know she has yeah. a very valid personal gripe against Dick Armey for his incredibly sexist insult toward her in 2009. But he, you know, uh, Chris Matthews didn't like her to use the word grifter. But I don't know what you call somebody that takes an eight million dollar bribe to go away. Yeah. What do you call somebody who does that? Well, and who extorted? I mean, and extorted it exactly. Extorted an eight extorted four hundred thousand dollars a year for ten years or whatever, twenty years, I think it is. Four hundred thousand. Four hundred thousand. Go away. To go well and, and to not and to not take over. Yeah. And the whole front end of that mm -hmm. was building this entire bogus bullshit organization. Yeah. Out of out of fairy dust and billionaire money and Fox News coverage. Yeah. So well, and anytime FreedomWorks puts out an ad from now on, I mean, they're going to have to become a shell organization because if FreedomWorks ever appears at the end of an ad, we're, we're going to redo it and put a picture of Dick Army holding a handgun saying, give me your money. Yeah. <laughs> and a giant novelty check saying, yeah, give me you your know. money, right wing idiots. But this was this was a classic it was a class, classic scam. I mean, you well, set up. It was. And I want to talk about that in light of Grover Norquist. Yeah, yeah. Harry Reid called out Grover Norquist by name on the Senate floor yesterday and said, Grover Norquist is in charge of the House. They're all afraid of Lord Grover or what? How, I can't remember exactly how he put it. But huh? and there was someone on MSNBC who said, well, that's not exactly true because Grover okayed Plan B. He uh. said it was okay for them to vote on that. Yeah. Which still... 
yeah. is covering the fact that they're turning to Grover Norquist, who is a lobbyist, yes. for their direction. So if I may translate, Red Grover, Red Grover, let Plan B come over. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I mean, he really is. Okay. And, and the thing is, the, the, the real problem, the elephant in the room is that none of those House members trust Grover Norquist no. to not come back and say, oh, look, he voted for a tax increase. I can get somebody even more loyal to me yeah. in the House and just primary him. I'm, and no I'm, one trusts Grover to okay anything except pure tax cut, you know. And so we'll wait till January and then vote on a tax cut. And I want everyone to go out in January and talk about their Obama tax cut. May, may I tell you a, a limousine driving guru cult story that is directly applicable? Sure. sure. Yeah. Once, and this is tr- I, I'm not going to mention any names, but once upon a time there was a a uh, a guru. Um, I, who wore flowing saffron robes and drove many, many limousines while his followers tilled the fields and worked like, you know, worked like um, slaves to keep him rich. And they believed in him and believed him completely. And he had them wear around their necks little necklaces with his picture on it. And then one day he announced that they didn't have to wear those pictures anymore. That it was, you know, I, I don't know what the reason was. It was idolatrous or whatever it was. It, it, it interfered with the message. But as an act of benevolence, he he decided he, they did no longer have to wear that around their necks. And so many of them said, okay, then we won't do that anymore because the guru says it's okay. And then the guru announced once they had taken their, their uh, necklaces off, this was a loyalty test <laughs> to see how loyal you were to me. Those of you who took your necklaces off are banished from my sight. Wow. Because – you, you, you know, no matter what I say or do, you're supposed to worship, you're supposed to fear and worship me. And that's how he kept himself, you know, hip deep in limousines, mm-hmm. while a bunch of uh, well-meaning, um, brainwashed dolts work themselves to death to keep him rich. Grover Norquist runs their fucking world. Yep. Drudge and Norquist and Limbaugh and Fox News owns the Congress, owns the Republican Party. And they are terrified because because even if Norquist was was sincere, and I have no reason to believe he is because he's a criminal. Um, but even if he was sincere, they have built themselves a machine that they can no longer control. Exactly. And yeah. it doesn't matter. The minute you step off the res, he doesn't have to lift a finger because some hick from out in the sticks is going to come rolling into town wheezing about government and black helicopters and Second Amendment and tax cuts and them damn liberals and communism is going to primary your fucking ass. And he's going to get a million or two or five or ten from some crackpot billionaire. And he's going to beat you. And and let's be clear. The only reason there is a Republican House is gerrymandering. Yes. But the gerrymandering is biting them on the ass so hard because the only people voting in your primary, the only people voting for you that you can count on uh-huh. Are these gerrymandered right wing nut jobs that you yep. have drawn a line around to ensure your party has the house? Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and let me... I want to point out, too, that 26 I read this in in these times this week, 26 state legislatures are controlled by the Tea Party. Yeah. 26. Yep. More than half. Yep. And that's that's the long game. The long game. Absolutely. But I, I got to say, um. It is a it is a simple matter of fact of, of geography and demographics and mm-hmm. municipal boundaries that this is what you just said is true. Yeah. However, let's face it, Illinois 
the the, the Democrats. Oh, they do it too. Oh, I'm not saying that they don't gerrymander everything. Yeah. yeah. As a long and inglorious history of redrawing. Oh, absolutely. And our own congressional district runs from St. Louis (laughs) up like a snake through Springfield up north to all the, you know, they drew a line around all the universities to try to get a Democratic district and failed. Yeah. Yeah. Still failed. An archipelago of universities they were created. So everyone does. and, and, And this is truly a case where both sides do it. However, Gerrymandering on the left has not resulted in the Communist Party of the De- of the People's Republic. Right, the, exactly. The Democratic right. Party. No, it hasn't. And and the Republican Party has has undergone this centrifugal distillation process, where they have simply, uh, they they have um again I'm going to refer to an old post of mine called reactionary. It used to be that the base of the party was like the nuclear core. And it, it was always there. It was always running the party. It was always heating things up. It was always powering everything. But you had this coolant on top. You had this David Brooks, Andrew Sullivan mm-hmm, mm-hmm. coolant mm-hmm. so that you could pretend that that's not really happening. Now the coolant. Well, I wonder coming. about that, though, Driftglass. I wonder about that contrary-wise with the Democratic Party. Because it's as it's been pointed out by a couple of people, this election in terms of statewide referendum was an incredibly liberal election. Oh, it was. It was. And – I wonder if the coolant on the Democratic side isn't the DLC and the moneyed interest inside the Beltway well, who are actually in charge because of money and lobbying. Uh, yeah. And but, there actually is a left-wing resurgence in the hinterland where people is. really want their Social Security kept the way it is and want pot to be legalized and want gay marriage to be legalized, et cetera, right. et cetera. Right. And these, for for some people, that's an incredibly liberal agenda. Not to me, but, yeah. you but know. And thank you for making the point, which was once upon a time, that would have been considered a fairly tame center-left position. Yeah. The fact that you're going to let people have civil rights yeah. and you're going to have this innocuous um, plant that grows on the ground will no longer be criminalized. People will no longer be have their lives destroyed for being busted for smoking a joint. Mm-hmm. That – you know, there are conservatives who make that argument. Oh, yeah. This Libertarians make that argument all the time. Leave this them alone. Le- leave people alone. Yeah. <laughs> now, what I'm referring to is if if you tracked – if the right tracked as hard – if the left ever tracked as hard left as the right tracked as hard right, yeah. you would have people – the majority of the Democratic Party would be insisting on nationalizing banks. Absolutely. Yep. And land redistribution. Yep. And yep. all kinds of things that are that are, that are poss- quite possibly worth considering. Yep. But Nobody are, gets two houses till everyone gets one. Yeah. And that is <laughs> never, never going to happen. No. That, that is the, the edge of the Overton window. So it is true that that liberal ideas have, were, were championed on the ground. But consider how tepid liberal ideas have become. I'm OK with them. I think we should legalize pot. Anybody should marry anybody they want as long as they're consenting adults. If you want to have polygamy, that's fine with me too. But that is not a particularly radical idea compared to the idea of – nationalizing industries and government direct yeah, control yeah. of its of this and that which are um i don't happen to agree with those ideas i think that there's a we could do a separate show on that i would one day like to do a show blue gal because was, i was thinking about this the other day i'm happy to debate conservatives and conservatism anytime anywhere but i don't know what conservatism means anymore yeah and i don't think they do either because they don't every, know there are 19 true conservatives you know, it's like back in the Middle Ages when there were four popes. Um, four popes, no waiting. Yeah. And yeah. and you have all of these 
factions. And you know, the only thing that unites them all is they all know liberals are worse. Yeah. And liberals are all part of a secret sinister plot that it, that will destroy the country far worse than any of their their mute their their brothers on the right will do. And I would dearly like to know what the fuck conservatism even means anymore because it doesn't mean what Andrew Sullivan says it means. It doesn't mean what David Brooks says it means. It doesn't mean what Rush Limbaugh says it means. It doesn't have any particular meaning. And you have to really drill into it and look for a utilitarian definition. What I, I don't know what conservatism means, but I do know what Republican voters have voted for. Yep. I do know what Republican policymakers have implemented. I do know what they have done as a matter of public record for 30 years. And I would argue in the aggregate, that thing that, that I've just described, the public record, the public policy, things they've said and done, causes they've championed, people they've demonized. When you take them all together, that is American conservatism. And, and and they don't seem to be able to vote against if if the party goes too far right. They don't seem to be able to vote against that. No, in large part, I don't understand that. But well, they they've again they built themselves a machine that's eating them alive, and they can't stop it because to stop it would be to lose an election. And I yeah. I we should probably mention that we treated ourselves to a showing of Lincoln this week. Yes, we did. I want to thank people who donate to the podcast because we were actually able to go to the movies this week. We were, and we we, was, we didn't and, get to sit together because it was sold out. But yeah, it, yeah, we did get to see in the same theater at the same time. Go see a movie. <laughs> you sat on the, the the female side of the theater. I sat on. The, <laughs> it was at the Amish screening house, and it was, you know. Anyway, we did see Lincoln. I liked it. I liked it very much, and I thought it was extremely timely and very oh yeah insightful yeah. Yeah. and very um, clear about. How hard it is. How a, how a Congress can lose its mind. Yeah. 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 Well, when you're, and when the you're, different factions and all the the yeah. corruption. I mean, well, the, how many the, how many congressmen you can buy? Yeah, and and the price of each one. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them, their price was a con was conscience. But some of their price was money. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was navigating between within your own party, the. Yeah pragmatists who think that we're going way too fast and we don't want to do this. And the purists who say, no, absolute equality now. Well, and, and the Tommy Lee Jones character, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but yeah. the Tommy Lee Jones character goes through so many changes in the course of the movie uh -huh. where he has to modify his zeal to, to get, get what he wants. And, and, there, and it's a, it's a purifying process. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, in, in the in the fire of war and the and the battles and the political corruption and the sense of what is possible and what is impossible and what you can negotiate, what you can't, mm -hmm. and what and the limits, the absolute limits of the political process, not the moral process, not ethics, but mm -hmm. what you can actually get done in politics while there's a war raging and people are dying by the tens of thousands every day. Um he he boils down to its purest essence what he can actually get done. Yep. And focuses on that. And that doesn't mean he doesn't think he's surrounded by jackasses. Yeah. Who, if they could only see what he sees, yeah. would go along with it. But and he's right. And he's right. Proved, yeah. yeah. Right. Proved him right. But it 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 is it reminds me, and I don't want to jump ahead too far, but it reminds me of, uh, sadly, the Newtown shooting. Yeah. And the fact that it has become a Christmas tree. For everyone to hang their ornaments on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, we. How dare you talk about children being killed while there's Benghazi going on? 
Yeah. How dare you yeah. talk? You know, it's irrelevant. We have to solve mental health. Guns have nothing to do with that. And how can you get so concerned about kids being killed when there are drone attacks going yeah. on? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has something more important. Yeah. Than kids being killed in Newtown. Yeah, you can't. They want to put ahead of this, and or this is what was it? The Insta pundit is now saying it's a distraction from the debt. The debt. Because <laughs> you know, because I don't, you, I'm not laughing about Newtown. I'm laughing at Insta pundit. Yeah. I'm pointing at Insta pundit and laughing at you. Because we can't solve any problem until we solve every problem. Yeah. And we we can only solve every problem once we start solving my problem. Yeah. And. Most of the time on the right, your problem is basically bullshit. Yeah. It's a distraction. Oh, so, but it's so amazing. There, but it's it's the it's this. The movie showed very well how really basic things can have to become. Mm-hmm. I need to pass this thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're right about this. You're right about that. We have the South. We have a we have a peace offer. We have this and this and this and this. All these other things. But I have a very clear idea that I have to pass. Healthcare legislation. Yeah, yeah. I have to do that. If I don't do that now, it will never get done. And whatever I have to do, whatever compromises I have to make, whatever mistakes I have to make to do that, whatever, however other values I have to sell out or trade off, I will do that to solve this one problem. Mm-hmm. And everyone just screaming at you from every side that it's either you're selling out the purity of your ideas or you're a Kenyan usurper trader who's trying yeah. to kill grandma mm-hmm. and trying to and then trying to do that over and over again with issue after issue no matter what issue you take up you're going to be told that you're either betraying your core mission you're betraying your base you're selling them out you're you're too slow on gay rights how dare you continue to lock people up for pot all of which are true mm-hmm. but all of which takes this delightfully um pure attitude as if politics doesn't exist yeah as if you don't have to pass you know have to craft legislation and in the middle of that process you have this republican party who has said no to everything so step it it is it is not an indictment of liberalism it is not an indictment of anybody's liberal beliefs in any particular issue but it, it is a very if you haven't seen it it is a very interesting study in how a very gifted politician can navigate very difficult waters to get one thing done. You're listening to the Professional Left Podcast, professionalleft.blogspot.com. Well, and I, yeah, today, today, uh, police officers were shot in their station in New Jersey. Uh-huh. You know, if they'd had guns and guards. If only they'd had guns and guards and proper firearms training. Yeah. That, you know. that, that's the thing. And the firemen, the poor volunteer firemen who were shot. I mean, yeah. one of the things that I think has changed as a result of uh, this shooting at the school at Newtown is that we are recognizing that every single shooting is avoidable if we're willing to take the the political risk to do something about it. Yeah. And we're not letting go of that. And it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And what happens? You know, what's next? I'm just wondering what's next. Is it going to be a maternity ward gets shot up? I, 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 what has to happen? To well, I, you know, I have, I have a writerly imagination. And mm-hmm. so I can imagine all kinds of terrible scenarios. I remember when um, Stephen King mm-hmm. has taken a lot of shit for this over the years. Because when, back when he was writing under the name Richard Bachman, I believe, mm-hmm. one of his early, early stories was about a gunman going into a school. 
Yeah, yeah. And it was just and it was imagine the it was worst a horror thing, story. Imagine yes. the worst thing you could imagine. Yeah. And it is certainly not beyond if if you have a grotesque imagination and are determined to to inflict maximum damage on society for whatever fucked up reason. Yeah. You can fly an aircraft into a, yeah. a plane into a building. Yep. Um, you certainly can. You can strap a bomb to your chest and walk into a pizza parlor. Chris Matthews said the other day, you know, you cannot stop somebody who's who's willing to shoot his own mother to get a gun. You can't imagine that kind of sick evil uh, being prevented. If someone's willing to kill their own mother to get a handgun, yeah. then there's there's no stopping it. You know, you can't stop a suicide bomber. If they want to kill themselves, they'll blow up other people. You can't but, stop them. But what you and, and uh, I want to get back to the political will to make changes. Uh-huh. I I think it's there. Mm-hmm. I think we will have it. Um, I don't think it'll go far enough. I think there'll be you know, the, the, all the, all the flaws and foibles of human nature, especially when you have a violent society that's drowning in guns, will still continue to be true for for years and years and years. And you can apply that to pretty much any issue you care to pick out of a hat. Mm-hmm. Climate change, um, foreign policy, drones, debt, you can name whatever you want. We're stuck in in human bodies, in a human world, in an imperfect, fallen, broken universe where we were plagued by all the things that have plagued humans since the beginning of time. However, if you go back and read um, history, if you go back and look at the Civil War, or you go back to the Iraq War, all the people who were slamming the shit out of liberals – for opposing this thing. All the people who were calling us fifth columnists and traitors and backstabbers and un-American. How many of those people have changed their mind in the last seven years? Not changed their mind about liberals, mind you, but are now writing. I realize there's not WMDs. Well, you know, Hannity says that we that Saddam Hussein moved them and hid them in Syria. Sure. And you'll and and you'll <laughs> always get the hardcore, you know, yeah, when it comes down. to civil rights, white supremacists, you'll get yeah. those people. They cannot give it up because there's, it's too profitable or their identity is too wrapped up in it. But there were an enormous number of people in the media, especially in the centrist media yeah. or the center-right media, who were just, you know, David Brooks wrote column after column mocking liberals, uh, mocking how, how funny it was going to be. What hell there'd be, you know, what, what Once they find the WMDs, right. Once right. George Bush has proven right, look at all those liberals. What You know what they're going to do? They're going to pretend they never said what they said, and they're going to deny it all, or they're going to climb down the rat holes or whatever. And there were lots and lots and lots of columns about that. You don't hear anything about that anymore, do yeah. you? Because history had its way with them. And I'm not saying, you know, this is, but this is life as a liberal. And I, I wrote a little something. I hope you don't mind if I just read it very quickly. Life as a liberal, uh, what I said, dear future generations, you want to know what life was like for liberals in America during my lifetime? First, they ignore you. Then they laugh at you. Then they fight you. Then they get gigs in national magazines repeating as breathless epiphany things you've been saying for 30 years. And that's the history of change in America. Liberals are usually right about almost everything. The, The people who control money, power, access to the media, who have buckets of ink to spill on papers, are almost always wrong. They're almost always dead wrong. They, they hate you and hate you and hate you and laugh at you and mock you and call you stupid. And then five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, you as a liberal notice that they have changed radically. Mm-hmm. They don't notice the change because if they notice the change, they would one day have to acknowledge that you were right and they were wrong. And that would be the day they become unemployed. 
So don't ever expect that to happen. But do notice the fact that things tend to bend in our direction. Um, and there's steps we take back and steps and mistakes we make. But I have a little bit of hope that eventually, <laughs> eventually over the course of time, things get better. You and I had a very interesting conversation earlier this week about pundits versus yeah. versus prognosticators, professional yeah. prognosticators, if I yeah. may. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And astrology and fortune tellers and tarot card readers. And, yeah. you know, I'm not beating up on anybody who finds meaning in anything, crystals, whatever. I never judge. I do. What I do. you do, but I don't. <laughs> I don't judge what other people do to derive comfort or no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, you know, in any way, I think people do what they need, feel they need to do. And the evidence of their senses, I just, I don't judge that. Yeah. But it is interesting to draw a line between, because they're both predicting the future. Yes. Yeah. Uh, pundits like David Brooks and, and others and people that do, you know, tea leaf readings and you had some really interesting comments about that. Yeah. And in light of what Bill Gresham said, you said. Well, I, I was reading from uh, everybody has to get your shot glass ready and <laughs> with, with good scotch because it's it's the holidays. So treat yourself to a nice a shot of something nice. Um, Robert Heinlein wrote, <laughs> in addition to pretty good science fiction stories and some uh, very libertarian stuff that I think is silly. He wrote um, essays on lots of subjects. And the failing of public schools and a bunch of other things. But he wrote um, uh, an article, I think it was called Pandora's Box in the 50s, and he updated it later. But it was about his, a quote from a guy he knew, a, a writer who was who turned to writing because he had got consumption. But before he had that, he was a great carnival mentalist ah. named Bill Gresham, who he said could could do a cold reading that would scare the pants off of a marble statue. Who is very, very good. But it's all about telling people, figuring out what they want to hear and telling them that in a very convincing and sincere tone. And he, in fact, he has a character in one of his books uh, in Stranger in a Strange Land who does exactly that, who who tells people, who's a tarot reader, who's a fortune teller, who tell, who's the fortune teller to the first lady of the United States, who tells people what they want to hear or the first lady of the world economy or the world government, but who tells people what they want to hear but is very sincere about it, doesn't think she's giving bad advice. She just sort of supplements her understanding of what the stars are telling her with what she knows about human nature. And she's extremely successful at it. So Bill Gresham said, you don't get rich peddling doom. Yeah. You And, yeah. and, and I would modify that slightly. If you're a pundit, you get rich peddling comforting doom. Yeah. And yeah. the whole premise being that card readers and astrologers in the newspaper the people who do it commercially in the newspaper, predictors of the future, are deliberately um, L. Sprague de Camp, another science fiction writer, said it doesn't pay a profit to be too specific. Yeah. So you tell people warm platitudes about mm -hmm. their bright future. And uh, um, the amazing Randy had this experiment, uh, a skeptic. Uh, the amazing Randy did a college class full of kids and he gave them all. He said, I, I, I don't believe in astrology, but I've, I've cast your horoscopes and I, I've given you what I think is a pretty accurate read of your personality. And he gave a sealed copy to everyone in the room. And they all read it. They said, now, now tell me how accurate you think I was about reading your personality, understanding you specifically, you, how accurate was this to you? And, and 
virtually everyone in the class said, this is great. This is right. This is me. This is totally fucking me. My God, how, how accurate do you need to be? He said, okay, now everybody hand your prediction back to the person behind you. And he'd given everyone the same prediction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was the universal prediction of you are uh, you're creative, but you're misunderstood. You have great potential, but it's not been realized. <laughs> All couched in very comforting <laughs> psychoanalytic language. My favorite prediction, uh-huh. Drift Glass. A problem that has been plaguing you for months will be resolved. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so instantly your mind goes to oh. the problem that's been plaguing you for months, whatever it is. Uh-huh. And you start to look for solutions and yes. fresh solutions to that problem because and, your horoscope said you would well, and, find a solution. Yes, and you will. And you and or you, you did. Will. Or you have. Or oh you my have. god. Oh my god. And I uh, to indulge a friend of mine in the late 70s early 80s, I went to a very famous astrologer and I know the tricks of the trade. And it was just embarrassing cuz she kept sort of trying to get me to reveal information about my background that she could build on to feed back to me and I wouldn't cooperate and it didn't go well. Yeah. Um, but Robert Heinlein actually tracked, he wouldn't give her name, but he said a world famous astrologer whose predictions are in the paper every week who writes year end predictions or beginning of the year predictions. He said, I've been keeping a, um, I'm doing this for memory, but he keeps a, a sort of a, or kept a file folder of all of her, a clippings of all of her predictions. And he said, look, my predictions, Robert Heinlein's predictions are about at, at about 66%. Mm-hmm. Stuff that I speculated about would happen. I can up Science that. and inventions and so forth. Yeah. Right. Trends right. in human behavior, trends in technology, trends in this and that. He said, if I'd been a little more um, um, obscure in my language, and a little more, huh, let's see, let's see. I could up that to near 100%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'll be straight with you. It's about 60% of the stuff I've got right, 66%, about two-thirds of the stuff. He said, this woman gets nothing right. Mm-hmm. And he read through a bunch of her predictions from 1974. January 1974, Nixon will be um, acquitted and go on to become a great president. Um, Willie Brandt will win re-election and blah, 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 blah in Germany. Willie Brandt was driven from office through a spy scandal. Prediction after prediction, she got completely fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. And he said, and nobody at the end of the year will ever hold her to account for any of it. Mm-hmm. Because people hear what they want to hear, and they will forgive you anything. They will they will toss right down the memory hole the 99% of the predictions you got wrong. And remember the one you got right. Mm-hmm. And that one... If it, is, if it is couched in that sort of language that comforts them and reflects back to them, their worldview is enough to bring them back to you, paying money, crossing your palm of silver over and over and over again. That is how the... Glass, yes. glass. That's what a Scorpio would say. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it is. And uh, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that there aren't legitimate astrologers out there. Astrology used to be a science. I'm not saying that tarot card readers, I'm sure we'll get lots of letters from people going... You I swear the, by this, and that's great. I, I think great craft. I'm referring to people who make a living out of doing public predictions and palm reading. Well, They're, and 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 drawing a line between those people and the pundits. people who do end of the year predictions for and and it was hilarious this morning. You weren't up yet, but I watched Chuck Todd this morning. Ah. And you know, it just has to be Hillary versus Jeb in 2016. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, yes. That's, that's it. That's the. <laughs> and you know, she, anyone who observed the Hillary Clinton inevitability train, 
in 2008 above all Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just, well, if, if she is the nominee, if she is the presumptive nominee, I will be glad to support her. Uh-huh. Sure. Glad to. But I have always felt a connection to her as a human being. And if it's I it bothers me so much that so many people that claim to love her and adore her and think she is destined to be president to fulfill some sort of wish in their own hearts. Yes. Refuses to see her and her whole family as human beings. Yes. Yes. Oh, no, you don't understand. She's a Clinton. She's not like you and me. No, she is. She is. People get to be close to 70 uh-huh. and have done everything and have traveled all over the world and are exhausted. And I'm not saying she's not going to run, and maybe she will, and I think the odds are pretty good that she will. But I'm not going to predict that. But the idea, oh, no, no, it doesn't matter that she's tired and that she's getting older and that she's not, she might just want to enjoy her grandchildren for the rest of her life. Oh, she's, she's a Clinton. She is Hillary. Yeah. She and is, so it's her. She knows it's her destiny to be president. She's, of the United she's States. the repository what? of all of our dreams. Of yeah, all of exactly. Our, all of our fantasies exactly. of all. Exactly. Of, and that's and she and she has to carry that. Yeah. And as a public figure who's been in the spotlight since the Nixon administration, she doesn't owe me anything. No, no, or any I, of us anything. I hire. I you know when I <laughs> when I vote, I I attempt to hire a competent public servant who will not fuck the country up too badly and will do some things that I happen to agree with. And that's pretty much all you get asked from a public servant. And if she does that, then fine. I you know, I would love to see Dennis Kucinich as president, but that's never going to happen. Bernie Sanders ain't ever going to be president. So of the available choices in this fucked up, broken democracy, that would be fine. But people who people who infuse her with with the with their wish fulfillment. Yeah. She is she is she is the she is the Hadarak. Yeah. She is the Dune. At, at the ten thousand year breeding program that they had in Dune, she is the she is the Muad'Dib. She is well, the and, child. And Barack who Obama is too. I mean, and Barack yeah. Obama is too for a lot of people, and I I get yes. that. But uh, it's it's not fair to to either one of them to treat them as something other than a human. Other than a human being. Exemplary humans, very and, smart. And people. now I will get an email from someone after they listen to this saying, "Why do you hate Hillary Clinton?" Yeah. <laughs> Why do you hate astrologers? Okay. Why do you hate tarot? Well, um, Harry Houdini used to the, the second half of his career was spent a lot of time debunking spiritualists. He'd yeah. go on stage, he would essentially in a cutaway table where you could see what his feet and hands were doing. Mm-hmm. replicate all of their tricks, mm-hmm. pick people's pockets and before the show and figure out what, you know, their name and address and their, their a bit of their background information, work that into the act, use fingers and toes under the table to pull things and cause spirits to appear all. The, and, and again, Robert Heinlein in, in bringing this subject up, never in a million years thought he was going to put the professional, astrology business out of business no. professional predictor business out of business it was much more a matter of this is how human nature operates yeah people really want to hear about the future that the future is going to be okay that they're, they're going to make it that that they share uh, that their burdens are going to be lessened that they are really one of god's children and they have a lot of potential and they have a, a future that is worth living in and they will ignore fuck up after fuck up after fuck up Failure, just predictive failure. Half of this woman's predictions of 1974 
we're all based on the fact we're all Gerald Ford related yeah. based on the theory that Gerald Ford was going to be vice president. Yeah. So she got everything wrong. Every and she did it every, every year she got everything wrong. And the point being that he was making a point about human nature and what people are willing to swallow in order to believe in the possibility of a bright tomorrow. And so when I go back and I dig out columns from David Brooks from 2000 and 2000, 2001, 2002, when he wrote for the Weekly Standard, mocking the Democratic Party yeah. for getting all fussy about deficits and shit. Because everyone knows the economy's changed. Dick Gebhardt's crazy. George Bush's tax cuts won't cause any deficits. For God's sakes, this is a brand new economy. We're never going to have deficits again. And the, the Democratic Party, with this obsession with balanced budgets and not blowing a hole in the deficit and not going back to deficit spending under under uh, that were happened under Reagan and Bush are just crazy. David Brooks actually said that. David Brooks is on record, on public record, mocking the Democratic Party for suggesting that running a surplus is a good idea and the deficits might happen if you put through really bad, bad, big tax cuts that are stupid and unpaid for. That's when these kind of things become dangerous. I think it's just equally as dangerous to set to, to predict the end of the world and say, well, we don't have to worry about global warming because God will pick up his people and carry them to heaven. Exactly. It's the and same kind of dangerous prediction that allows you to simply screw with people's lives, screw with people's... Uh, ecology and economies and get away with it. And and the point being that I'm never going to put David Brooks out of business. No. But David Brooks and all of his colleagues call themselves pundits or political insiders or op-ed writers or analysts. What they really are are professional tarot card readers, yeah. professional astrologers, professional palmists, not people who actually believe in the art they are practicing, but people who develop phrases that are comforting to their fellow con artists and to the people who watch and listen to them, who, who sell a, a, a very comforting lie to their audience, that a very comforting lie. The difference being that our entire political dialogue has now become dependent on that lie, yeah. on maintaining that lie, because you can dismiss a bad prediction in the newspaper or a silly uh, horoscope. But if the day ever dawns when somebody points out that the emperor really doesn't have any clothes and that David Brooks and Tom Friedman and Andrew Sullivan and David Gregory and all the rest of them have been horribly wrong in print about specific predictions going back for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and that they really don't know anything. And they really have no business on the public airwaves. And by the way, there is a group of people who have gotten 66% of the shit right. They're called liberals. Mm -hmm. And maybe we shouldn't be listening to any of these people. Maybe their opinions are just – maybe their opinions are the problem because the, the product they sell is not the lines on your hand or the stars in the sky. The product they sell is both sides are wrong. And that is the great, big, toxic lie from which all the little lies are spawned. And Happy New Year, everyone. And I, I try not to make huge predictions for people or for our listeners. I always say take care of yourselves. And I, I hope this year is wonderful for all of our listeners. I have hope, not predictions. How about you? Got any hopes for the future? For me? Yeah. Or for, for our listeners or anything? What do you I... wish for for 2013? 2013. For me personally. Oh, well, full-time work. 
I wish for readers or listeners to to be lucky enough to realize how good they have it. Mm. Even when things are bad, um, I wish for them the presence of mind to stop and take a breath and look around them mm-hmm. and see the people they love or the things they enjoy or the friends they have. Uh, even if it's one, even if it's a little thing, even if it's your kitten or your dog, even if it's a neighbor or a friend. It's not that the bad things aren't there. It's not that some of those bad things are very bad and getting worse. My wish for them is simply that they they can take a moment in any given day or during any given week when you're rush, rush, rushing around and calm your mind and realize that um, there are a lot of things in your life that are precious and wonderful and do not miss them yeah. as you rush from one crisis to the next. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. And prosperity and peace and goodwill towards men and all those good things. I wish for the manufacturing base to be reconstituted in this country. I wish for middle class prosperity. I wish for people to wake the fuck up and realize that you can tackle the problem of global climate change while at the same time building a sustainable culture and economy that can last a good long time. But we have to do it. And I, 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 would, I would wish for people who disagree with me. Um, but not, but aren't crazy to get on board with the idea that all of our problems, economic, cultural, social, criminal, <laughs> environmental, are all being blocked by the same group of people. Mm-hmm. And that there's more of us than there are of them. Yeah. Yeah. And once we can sort of all get our ducks in a row and say, you know what? The answer to all of our problems is getting rid of those people. And I mean electorally and socially, not mm-hmm. physically. Once we can sort of get behind that, I think things will run a little bit smoother. Well, and I'm I'm very grateful this year for the outcome of, for the most part, for the outcome of the election uh-huh. and the fact that really the better ideas won. And people were paying attention and, and the voters for the most part were paying attention and did vote for the better set of ideas. Yeah. And we talked about that in this podcast, that I pray for the Republican Party to get some ideas that they support and find some sort of intellectual base for their philosophy rather than we have to stop the Kenyan usurper. Yeah. If we, I miss having a Republican Party that you can actually debate with, and I pray for a return of a Republican Party that is based on they might be wrong ideas and be ideas I disagree with, but there needs to be a return to some sort of fill. Even if it's crazy Ron Paul, we can keep him out of office, you know? Yeah. Ron Paul has more of a philosophical grounding to his nuttiness. Yeah. You know, I, I disagree with practically everything he believes in. But it comes from a place. It comes from a place. It comes from a philosophical place. Most Republicans in the House, I don't think, have any idea what they stand for. If you ask them for, okay, let's lay out what it is you believe in. Apart from tax cuts and stopping Obama. You get a bunch of bumper stickers. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I think that's a very, that's a good point to leave on to. Because after 2004, an awful lot of us, uh, for a for a good long while, just wrote off the American electorate. Yeah, yeah. How could you be this fucking stupid? How could you be this dumb? And of course, one of the great um, 
cons in the American media is to point out, well, you know, liberals hated Bush <laughs> and conservatives <laughs> hate Obama. And I, I just want to be – I don't even want it to be me. I, I would – anyone, please anyone, anyone who is available, who's, who's sitting in front of that camera when that question comes up. Please have in your back pocket the five or 10 or 15 things that we hated Bush for because those were shit. That was shit he actually did. Mm-hmm. We actually did get lied into a war. We actually had that war botched. We actually had the global economy torched. We actually blew a hole in the deficit. We actually put torture as a part of our national agenda. That's now a na- that was a national policy. We actually did rig elections. We actually were asleep during 9-11. After seven or eight warnings, we actually did write a special law that just for Terry Schiavo, we actually did make war on Social Security and try to privatize that. Those are all things that actually happened Mm -hmm. on purpose as part of a Republican agenda. The things that Republicans, conservatives hate liberals for are fucking imaginary, are boogeymen who live under your bed that are fed to you by Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh, and and they feed them to you because they know you're bigoted and ignorant and terrified, and you'll Death believe panels. it. So the fact that Kenyan you, usurper. The fact that you're angry yeah. at 100 decibels and liberals are angry at 100 decibels have nothing to do with each other. We're angry about shit that actually happened in the real world. You're, ac- you're angry about your fantasies. And the people who continue to draw false equivalences between those two can be debunked in about 30 seconds, mm-hmm. which is why liberals are never allowed. Never allowed on television. Because... The end. We have to stop now. <laughs> oh, every week, we feature at our website and Facebook page an Internet Kitty sent in by you, the listeners. And this week's Internet Kitty is Cinnamon. Cinnamon hails from Missouri. And by the way, Cinnamon likes to roll in the sun. Isn't oh, that nice? Yes. Knows how to be grateful for some sunshine. You can send your Internet Kitty to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can also write to both of us. Feel free to write us either at our P.O. Box, which is P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791, or at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com. And we love hearing from you. Be aware if you write to us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or letter on the air unless you say otherwise. So, Drift Glass, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, Blue Gal, the Internet Kitties have already spent their 2013 Obama tax cuts. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, dubbing. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying and the fellow with the switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license, copyright 2012, Drift Class Blue Gal Podcast. I love you, by the way. I love you, too. You can't see me winking at you and flirting with you Hello. with my eyes. Hello. Hello. Oh, he's so nice.